The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. I have administered oxygen as a first aider. Where? It's Heaton Park. A pop concert. Who was playing? I, I was a volunteer, was part of the audience. Uh, the Stone Roses, I believe. <laughs> I could see you rocking out to the roses. <laughs> Not my usual sort of music, though the percussion is reminiscent of Wagner. Welcome to episode 80 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that was pleased to see the teacher from Beavers and Butthead turn off his Paul's therapist this week, okay? <laughs> I look forward to Butters from South Park appearing next week to befriend Hope Pam Gavin. And I'm stuffed. Oofed. Stuffed. Like a turkey. Yep. <laughs> I, I can barely move. <laughs> I didn't eat all that much yesterday. Yeah, I think we did, we did pretty good. It was just, I think, the kind of constant grazing... Yes. All day that kind of done it. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Full bellies. Full bellies, yes. If uh, if if you didn't get a chance to see pictures of some of our Thanksgiving treats on the Twitter feed or on the Facebook page. But don't like that. Do take a look. Because we, we had some delicious stuff. Did you post the, the cooked turkey? No. You just posted the... Just the roll. The one. uncooked one covered in bacon. Covered in bacon, stuffed with sausage, mm. just as God intended. Yeah, no animals were harmed in the making of this Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, wait. Three All more. the animals. All the animals were harmed. It was pretty tasty stuff. So I made my soup. Yes, you did. Early doors, as is tradition. As is tradition. Scottish lentil soup is part of the Thanksgiving feast. Absolutely. It actually tasted more it. like Heinz lentil soup. This year than it has done in the past. I'm not saying that's oh, really? a bad thing, but that's not typically what I aim for. It was no, good though. It was good. It was good. I liked it. It wasn't. It wasn't too heavy. It was just right. Right. Yeah, that was from using a different sized pot. Would you believe? I haven't to reduce the amount of ingredients. I think it came out better. Yes, yeah, me too. Good stuff. So you had a nice Thanksgiving then. Yes. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed the game that we played afterwards. We played a couple of games. Yeah, we played Hello Kitty Uno. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that au fait with Uno and even less so with Hello Kitty <laughs> the variant thereof is, is that the Hello Kitty one different from no. regular? No, it just has, it just Hello, has Kitty Hello Kitty on it Yeah, okay. and Stelly had just I think Stelly got it for her birthday like three years ago and she just opened it today, yesterday no, right. <laughs> We have some other Uno packets around here somewhere I know Nick a long time ago had an American Kennel Club Uno pack that I got him one time because our Nick, he loves the dog show. That's another bit of tradition. We watch the Macy's Day Parade. We watch the dog show. Even though he's not here anymore. Then we watch somebody beat the lions. Oh, it's always the bears. Oh, yes. Always the bears. Always the bears. <laughs> it's interesting to see how 
the Lions contrive to lose by looking like they're going to win for 99% of the game and then they always blow it in the last minutes. Well, you know, I've been a Red Sox fan since birth, so I'm I'm used to teams that try very hard to lose. Yeah, it's difficult to think of a team that's better at doing that than the Detroit Lions. Though. Mm. Anyway, yeah. what was the other game? Codenames. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. Even though I had Benny on my team. <laughs> It's not the greatest. <laughs> you should have seen it when it was Benny and, and Nick on a team. See, because I don't think Nick would try and uh, temper his clues because he was playing with Benny. <laughs> I think he would just... They won the first round. Did they really? Because I picked the assassin. <laughs> but then but then, um, but then, then we we switched and, and Nick, was, Nick was my spy master and Steli was Benny's spy master. And if you think Nick can't temper things to Benny to Benny you should try, you should see Stella you this only makes sense if you've ever played this game before yeah it's, and you probably haven't it's apparently a very a very popular game Stella and I uh learned how to play it at the Grand Rapids comic-con a few a few weeks ago and we really loved it so I got her her own copy of it yeah it was good I enjoyed it for her birthday yeah it was good and we had our nice long walk it was a good Thanksgiving. It's one of my one of my favourites, I think. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Ooh, what's that on the horizon? It's Cory News. <laughs> Former Cory star Gray O'Brien has revealed that he has been diagnosed with stage four tonsil cancer. What? Yes. You can get tonsil cancer? Apparently. He had some swelling in his throat, and he still has his tonsils, so... Um, oh, good God. Yeah. O'Brien was on the show from 2007 to 2010 as Tony Gordon. We wish him all of the best as he finishes treatment. Yeah, so speed of recovery. That sounds horrible. The boys of the Sofa Cinema Club have a special Christmas treat for listeners of their podcast. Ben, Colson, and Jack were at the Bridgewater Hall watching the tour of Love Actually with a live orchestra. Eesh. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine a worse time ever. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas special will drop into subscribers' feeds on Thursday, December 12th, and we will find out if they hate Love Actually as much as I do. I, I bet you they don't. Probably not. I don't think Colson's going to hate it, certainly. Who was it that wrote that? scathing I'm going to say scathing <laughs> review of it oh that was awesome I can't remember who it was it was it was a really good though was it in the Atlantic they called it the least romantic film of all time but they went through they like, went through it in painstaking detail explaining why it's so problematic yeah because it's really so really pro- problematic, problematic. <laughs> so let's set a problematic film to a live <laughs> orchestra <laughs> right. and sell tickets to it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Uh, people do like that movie though I know I th- you know what I think it's just that there are so many delightful actors in it that who should be nowhere near that that, that you like <laughs> you know because Alan Rickman's in it mm-hmm. R.I.P. Emma Thompson whom I love Hugh Grant Hugh Grant <laughs> well I guess hey we liked him in Paddington too. yes but everything about Paddington too was <laughs> just perfect delightful Colin Firth whom I love mm-hmm. 
and uh, Kira Knightley's in that, isn't she? Martin McCutcheon's in it as well. Ah. She was Tiffany in EastEnders. Oh. Look at you. Or Tiff. All, all up in the uh, EastEnders. Yeah, I used, to, I used to watch. Uh, used to watch EastEnders a bit when Tiffany was in it. I haven't watched it much since. That's, of course, not the Kira Knightley film that's played the most in this house. Oh, Bend It Like Beckham, <laughs> I presume. I haven't seen that all the way through. Betty has watched it like eight times. Yep. But he really should be revising to play Codemasters. <laughs> Finally, in Corey News. The storyline of Sinead's battle against cancer has won Best Continuing Drama Storyline at this year's Royal Television Society Awards. Yes, it is. Woohoo! Woohoo! Rob Mallard also won Best Performance in a Continuing Drama. Yay! Hey. That's Daniel, who, who I now find insufferable. But at the time, <laughs> you know, before Sinead died, he was, well, no, he was insufferable then too, wasn't he? He was quite insufferable in, uh, in Patches. Yes. Yes. And that's Corey News. Our mailbag. It was a quieter mailbag this week. A few lovely messages from people, including Canadian librarians, wishing me to get well soon, which I kind of have a little bit. Yeah, you're not nearly as stuffy. Sounding better. Yeah. I'm really stuffed up in the morning. Yes. That's usually when I'm stuffed up as well. Right. I need to stick the humidifier in our room. It kind of gets better as they go, the day goes on, though. Yeah. Get in there. Because you're upright. Yep. Yeah. Other than that, just Kev from Whereabouts Unknown. I'm assuming he's getting a little frustrated at the length of time it's taking for certain storylines to reach their conclusions when he asks, if I handed in my quitting papers at work, I don't think they'd let me continue to turn up three months later. Indeed, Kev. Indeed. And then we had lots of love generally for our Thanksgiving post, which was Absolutely, nice. yes. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. Ben Price Fan Club dropped us a tweet. Last week we spent a considerable amount of time going through Cory characters whose names sound slightly different to other Cory characters' names. BPFC reminded us of Alex and Ali that we forgot to mention. I kind of realised that after the after the event, the most obvious well, one. Well, I would have gotten to them if you hadn't cut me off. <laughs> well, we were getting into minute five of that. I thought we had to. We would have gotten there. We had to bring that to a conclusion. Yes. At some point. Where is Alex Ben? He hasn't been on the show. And where is Liam? Where are you? Yeah, he's. I haven't seen Alex at the Rovers. Week. He he was needed at Roy's. Yeah, not the Rovers. It doesn't work in the Rover. No, that's that's what I meant. Roy's. They both start with R. Yeah, he was needed uh, behind the counter. Is the Bistro's name just the Bistro? That's that's the whole name. It used to be Nick's Bistro. Well, not anymore. And I think it's now called the Viaduct Bistro. Nobody calls it that, though. No, they call it the Bistro. Yeah. I'm happy to help. <laughs> I can't do my John Oliver. Welcome, welcome, welcome. No, yeah, it's, it's not as good as it was last week. Yeah, so, okay. So, last year tonight was me, <laughs> Gavin Brook. <laughs> and me. Our episode stopped. last year was called No Jim Jams Night. Do you remember oh, who yes. didn't have Jim Jams? It was our Kirky and Beth. <laughs> it was. Yes. Yes. She had a rash that had to go and get checked out at the uh, at the health centre. Yes. And, he, and they told, I think it was Rani, they told it was no Jim Jams night tonight. <laughs> Lucky us to find that out. Yes. So this was our first post-Squire episode. That was a joke that was allowed to go too far, we thought, with things. 
with hindsight. I was Gavin and you were a penguin. Oh, that's right, because it was uh, the um, parade. Christmas night. parade. Christmas parade. That was a bit early for a Christmas parade, wasn't it? Yeah. Is there a Christmas parade? Oh, what happened to my voice there? It's, uh... This year? Yeah, it's like next... It's the 7th. December 7th is, is our Christmas parade this year. I don't know if I will be a penguin again. <laughs> I might. I like that penguin costume. Because you were preparing for the parade, you hadn't seen Friday's episodes, so I decided to lie about one thing that happened in it. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a, become a regular thing, and it didn't. Which is a shame, I quite enjoyed that. Our Twitter follower count was a steady 32. What is it now? 309. Wow. It's not bad in the year. No. Well, I think. That's really, that's, I'm not sure. That's impressive. Gina continued to play Tim and Sally off against each other following Sally being found guilty of all those things Duncan said. Imran, who's representing Duncan, looks like he's about to help Sally, but doesn't. Although this is the first time we noted his lovely jacket. <laughs> Jenny is worried that Johnny is getting his hole off of Liz and has invested in an app that claims to track errant husbands. And she does this by pretending to fix a phone that she, and sell, she herself pretended to break. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. Remember? Remember when Johnny and Liz were... Getting it on. Knocking boots. And it was a year ago. Seems like forever ago. That I said, Who serves chili con carne without rice? In my Johnny voice. Everyone in America, Johnny. Everyone in America. It was a year ago. Brian wears a bicycle helmet and looks like the xenomorph queen out of Alien. <laughs> a whole two or three weeks after getting engaged, Kate barges into the medical centre to talk to Ran about adoption, interrupting Kirk getting his back rash examined. And later, she enters into an agreement with Robert... For his spooch. Ugh. Evelyn pushes Hope's face into a wall. Good times. She does that for, uh, she ruined Evelyn's jigsaw and then broke Ruby's doll. Our moment of the week was Mary sitting alone in the mortuary waiting to hear if the body that had been found was Jude's. And our boring moment of the week was Ryan passed a food hygiene certification test. And that was the talk of the street on Coronation Street. Jeez, I'm still bored by that. Last year, yeah. (laughs) They made a big deal about that. Mm-hmm. 15 minutes this week <laughs> <laughs> There you go Shall we dive in with you? Yells please Our first storyline tonight is Kel in a cell <laughs> Oh hell uh-huh. On Monday Paul hasn't slept Every time he closed his eyes he saw the polaroids of those boys Both their lives had been fucked up just like his He's kept so much buried It's going to need a geologist to dig it all up Billy insists that now he's got Billy, Gemma and Ben Ben on his side, he's going to be fine. Gemma is emotional at the hospital and fills Chesney in on Kel stealing Daniel's laptop and all the photos of Paul and all the other kids and Bernie's gone missing. Ches is immediately concerned for Joseph and no one can remember if Kel was ever left alone with him. He he absolutely absolutely was. was. Gemma suggests talking to the wee boy but Chesney thinks it's more complicated than that and he blames Paul for keeping quiet. He's going to break Kel's face for this. Yeah, all of a sudden, Chesney's interesting. <laughs> He's had a little uh, surge of testosterone. I know. In that scene, didn't he? Wow. Well, I guess it's Joseph. Yes. That kid's not going to bath himself. <laughs> Ches comes home to find Kel trying to get into the house, claiming to have lost his keys. And Ches throws Kel against the car and tells him to sling his fucking hook. He knows that Kel is a dirty pedo. And Kel calls this defamation. And then just at that, the police swing by and arrest Kel on suspicion of burglary. Kel loudly denies everything and shouts at Paul that he's a fantasist. A fantasist, I tells you. Yeah. Assuming that it was Paul who grasped him up. Right, which it wasn't. Nope. 
So at home, Paul is blaming Chez, but Bernie comes in and owns up to spending all night down at the cop shop. And Paul's not happy about this. This wasn't her decision to make, which is what I thought last week. Yes. Uh, she should have spoken to him, and he's a wee bit Bobcat Goldthwait as he goes through this, and then he storms <laughs> off. What is that supposed to mean? What crazy summer. No, okay. <laughs> Kelly's at the police station being interviewed and loudly pleading not guilty. There's quite a nice wee transition here because you see yes. initially on a black, on and, a white black and white screen. Monitor, yeah, I like and that. Suddenly, that. becomes colour and we're in the room. Yes. Too fancy? A little bit too fancy, <laughs> maybe. Oh, uh, you, you, you Brits not wanting to be flashy. The co- <laughs> what do we think this is? Dynasty. <laughs> The cops show him a copy of the Polaroids and ask about the laptop, and Kel is very suddenly all no comment. Yeah. Bernie is alone at home. There's a knock at the door, and it's Kel. <gasps> what? He's How wanting did to he talk. How out already? Wait, wait. So he was arrested for burglary, so they're not going to keep him in for 24 hours because of that. But they've got the photos, and they've questioned him about the photos. Right. Do you not think they'd want to like hold on to him for a while? Just, yeah, just until they figure that bit out. Because he's a danger to hmm. Hmm. photography. It just blows my mind that people get arrested and then just get let out after after being questioned without being held. He wasn't charged, I don't think. Was he? Maybe he was. He should have been. He was charged with burglary, but he wasn't. Nothing's happened about this. I'm confused. It's fine if the if the police didn't have the the Polaroids and fine, but they did. Because plot. Let's just okay. let's just say because plot. So anyway, uh, Bernie isn't interested in talking and threatens him with the police again. And Kel barges his way in uh, and tells her that she's going to regret this. He locks the door. But if he thinks Bernie is going to be a pushover, he's got another thing coming. She accuses Kel of interfering with her boy. And if he doesn't unlock the door, she'll smash the glass in, presumably with Kel's face. Mm. Why doesn't she just turn around and run to the back of the house and the back door? Uh, or just Neil in the Newts. I don't understand how he's keeping her captive in there when there's a back door that she's closest to. Mm. That she could turn around and run out and he probably wouldn't be able to catch her. Well, I don't think either of them look particularly fast on their feet, do they? Because plot. Oh, again. Mm. Meanwhile, back at home, Paul is falling to pieces. He explains about Bernie's actions to Billy, who thinks Uh, this means Kel will be locked up. Continue. And no one will ask Paul to do anything he doesn't want to do. Paul wants to make a statement, but Billy thinks he needs to speak with someone about all of this first. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> Billy does this quite a bit this week. What? It, it kind of forces these... take control of Paul's life. Right. Now that they're dating again. Right. Yeah. It's a little annoying. But, uh, you know, this is his job. As... As a parishioner. Oh, he's not the parishioner. No, no, not parishioner. That's not the word I mean. He's a vicar. Yes. You know, as as a vicar, this is... It, it's One of his jobs is to help people solve their problems. And he knows the right people to call to help Paul. And he loves Paul. So, I don't know. Is it helping or interfering? Well, in the end, it's helping. Hmm. So Gemma is back to see if Paul is okay and then they hear Bernie and Kel fighting in the house. Kel thinks that Paul took the pedo picks himself just as Gemma and Paul <laughs> burst them, Which is... What, how? Yeah, how? 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you can't you can't really take a selfie of your whole body with a Polaroid camera from the nineties, from the eighties, <laughs> or whatever. Hmm. Benny goes for Kel and starts battering fuck out of him until Gemma screams at Kel to get out. And later, when everything has calmed down, Paul is sure Kel will get away with it. He's only been charged with burglary. Aha. Uh-huh. Benny thinks it'll be a different story when the cops have a look at Kel's flat and his laptop. Hmm. It doesn't. We don't hear very much about it if it, if it does. Yeah, Benny. I. And I wonder. Because he hasn't had Daniel's laptop for very long. It was like a day, wasn't it? Right. How much could he have put on it? Oh, but I think he has a laptop of his own. Kel's big porn laptop. <laughs> Does he? Because the only laptop that we that was there, that was with the pictures, was Daniel's. I think you the impression that... It was kind of weird, too, because you'd think that all of the other stolen stuff would be with the laptop, not these pictures. There was so much that was wrong with his flat. Y- yes. Why would these old pictures be on top of the laptop for a start? Right, unless he's been... Using them recently. He, yikes. Yeah, I don't want to think about it Let's too hard. Let's get on, yep. So later when everything's calmed down, Paul is sure Kel will... No, I've read that bit out. Yes, you have. Uh, Benny and Paul make up, and Benny will, uh, says that she's going to also make up for being such a shitty mum for all these years. Oh, that's nice. That just seems to be uh, honest when she's Yeah, it that. seems like everybody's really making up, and that's good. Chesney is friend at Daniel's that. and explains that Kel nicked the laptop and it's at the police station being held as evidence and he'll get it back soon. Ches ad- advises Daniel to get in touch with the cops. And, then Billy and they comes- have a nice hug, which is nice. They seem to have kind of reconciled and Daniel's not being a shit to Chesney anymore. <laughs> right. Well, see, because he's not dressed like a 70s comedian anymore. <laughs> it looks like no, that was the difference. Was, he was a shit to him before Sinead died as well, remember? Saying that How was he dressed? I can't remember, mm. but he wasn't so in a we, suit. So we can't rule somebody's comedian out then. <laughs> Billy comes round to visit Paul, and Billy's perhaps inappropriately chirpy as Paul announces that he's uh, that t- talking about the abuse has brought him and Bernie closer together, and he's ready now to talk to the police. He owes it to himself and other kids that Kel has abused. Bernie, Gemma and Billy pledge to be behind him every step of the way. Then on Wednesday, at Roy's Rolls, Billy gets a call from a survivor, an abuse survivor charity, and has arranged an appointment for Paul this afternoon. See, this is, this is again getting into the interfering territory. He he chose to make an appointment for, for Paul because he knew that Paul wouldn't do it himself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what couples do. He, no, they don't. I've made appointments for you before for things. When we first moved. They're there to help. Understandably, Paul is unsure. He wanted more time and Billy decides for Paul that thinking about it is worse and Billy agrees to go with. Which was nice. At the therapist centre thing, Paul is introduced to Andy who looks like that teacher from Beavis and Butthead that I talked about in the He really doesn't. His hair is too short. He does though. It's the glasses and the beard. Yeah, but that guy in Beavis and Butthead had long blonde hair. This man has short brown hair with curly tops. Yeah, he's, he's tidied himself up a little bit. It's been a while. Beavis and the Butthead was yonks old. Ages ago. I watched the the movie recently. It it, it's, it hasn't aged well. <laughs> it really But I don't think it was intended to it age really well, hasn't. was it? I, I went to the movies to see that. I did not. I saw it in Falkirk 
it was me and my girlfriend at the time were the only people in the audience. <laughs> except for another couple that were sitting way over on the other side. Uh-huh. And there's a moment in it where uh, Beavis and Butthead are in a, a bus full of uh, nuns. Uh-huh. And they're doing this wee game thing. Right. Where you, you interlace your fingers with your friend and you open right. up your hand and it looks a little naughty. Yes. Yeah. But I hadn't seen anything... I knew what that was, but I hadn't seen it represented in a in a movie before. Funnily <laughs> enough, that doesn't feature very often in movies. And I laughed so hard that I farted. And because there was only four other people in there, or three other people in the in the cinema, everyone knew it was me. And that made me, <laughs> that made me laugh even more. <laughs> Did your relationship last much longer after that? Uh, when was that? That was 97? Yeah, a couple of years more than that. Was it 97? I thought it was earlier than that. I'm really going to look up the year that Beavis and Butthead do America for next week's Hindsight Corner. <laughs> you can just look it up now. I think it was 97. It was 96. Oh, that was You're close. only a year off. Oh, three years it lasted after that then. Wow. That that was... I mean, I don't mind your farting. So... Well, I'm not the only person in the house that farts. That's true. <laughs> the kids also fart, as do the dog. And the cats. Sure, let's go with that, shall we? <laughs> anyway, Billy offers to sit in on the therapy session. And the therapist says, no chance. I, I don't think so. I don't think so, Chief. That's not how, that's not how things that's work. That's how this works. Here. And after a fashion, Paul opens up and tells Andy all about Kel's abuse. And at the end of the session, Andy warns Paul about what going to the police will likely mean. And it's going to be a tough slog, just so you know. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that story this week. I'm glad it's moving right along. I'm I'm glad that we're making progress with it. I that whole Kel blocking the door thing is just I don't know. I don't know what that really lent to it, except Well, it was supposed to be threatening, wasn't it? Oh, he doesn't really threaten her. He's just like, No, I'm not gonna He doesn't like actually threaten her with violence, just I'm it's not moving not, away from the door. He threatens with talking to her, which I don't know if that's worse or not. Right. It was weird. I'm glad I'm glad that Bernie and um Paul have made up and it seems like the family is, is stuck behind him and stuff and and that we're not getting this whole long drawn out oh What's wrong with Paul? Right. Why, why is he being he, so moody? You know. I'm glad that it came out the way that it did and it wasn't, you know, him finally telling her and then her thinking that he's made it up and everything and right. stuff. So, I'm yeah. happy with it. I mean, as happy as I could be about a <laughs> story of child sexual abuse. Right. As far as they go, top notch. <laughs> uh, <sighs> I kind of hope, though, that the, the whole Polaroid thing with the police being left as it is, was a bit strange and the fact that it is strange but two episodes later or two days later nothing's really come out of that right and he's odd. still on the street and he hasn't been because you would assume that somebody who's done this will continue to do it so you'd want that person off the street and away from children mm-hmm. hmm i don't know anyway our next storyline tonight is the half brother from the same mother I quite enjoyed this one this week. Yes. It was good to see Kaylin again. <laughs> Hi, Kaylin. 
<laughs> we need to post it. No, we can't do that. That's she's not her child to post photographs no. of, but she really does look like Nina. Mm. Although I think her hair is pink right now. I'm not sure what that kid's hair colour is supposed to be. It's been that long since I've seen it. She, Regular was blue last year, wasn't it? Yeah. She suited it blue. Yeah. It's brownish black, just like her mom's. Huh. And like my dad's. So on Monday then, Carla catches up with Roy and they talk about going to see Richard again. And Carla warns him about that Nina one. What? Yeah. Roy and Richard are enjoying a civilised game of chess together. Roy rues the missing years, but at least they have this time together. Richard would like to go see the cafe where Roy works, but Nina doesn't think Richard is up to it. Well, fuck you, says Richard. We're going. <laughs> Richard has been very quick at uh, it's just accepting demoting Roy and... and demoting Nina and her opinion and stuff. I kind of feel for her a little bit in this. Yeah. But, I mean, he, part of it is that he wants her to go back to school and stuff. Right. So, Richard and Nina roll into Roy's roles with Roy, who introduces his brother to all the losers who hang out there all day. (laughs) (laughs) Richard is impressed to see James. He's seen him play, putting a cross for Tommy O in the cup Mm -hmm. or something. Yes. Roy explains that he's out of his comfort zone, but he's going to do everything he can to help the two of them. And then the next stop on the grand tour is the cabin, and Rita is pleased to see them as Richard has a coughing fit, which is enough for Nina to call a halt to this and she takes him home. And Rita compliments Nina's attire, which I thought was nice. Did she? Yes. I don't think that would be Rita's cup of tea. Yeah. She was a big fan of Fields of the Nephilim back in the day, though. <laughs> I'm sure. That's a goth band. Sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> on Wednesday, <laughs> Roy fills Carla in on the progress with Richard and how Nina is a bit standoffish. You think? She's happy to see Roy back to his old self and tells him not to worry about Nina. She'll soon forget her allegiances to her own father and come round to love Roy, who she's known for all of five minutes. Did she can love them both. No, not as far as Carl's is concerned. It's love Roy or love no one. Yeah, and then Carla kind of takes offence when, when Roy says something about... She's the closest I think to a daughter I'm ever going to have. Right. And Carla goes, oh, thanks very much. (laughs) Roy goes to see Richard and Nina's not pleased to see him again, saying her dad suffered a setback thanks to their day, but Richard hears Roy and wants to see him. And Richard says Nina means well, which Roy doesn't doubt. He wants to know Nina will be okay and asks Roy to step up, which I thought they'd already covered yesterday. I guess not. (laughs) Or maybe we just need to do it again. So Roy's back at Roy's roles and Carla comes in. Roy explains that Richard had taken a turn and Nina's blaming him, which is fair. Carla thinks this was Richard's responsibility and Nina's talking pish, but Roy says that he should have listened to Nina. Roy explains about Richard's request and he's apparently agreed. And now he thinks about it, he heads back to see them both again. An awful lot this week is just Roy Roy going going backwards and and forwards. And then Nina comes backwards and forwards. Nobody seems to phone anyone anymore. No. That's because they're never in. It's because Roy doesn't have a cell phone. He's got a f- phone in the calf, though. He's got that though. big clunky phone on the wall at the right. calf. That phone's definitely got a part line button. <laughs> uh, so Nina, again, is not pleased to see Roy, but he's only there to help. And Richard seems to be getting better, no thanks to Roy. And Roy tries to help with the wheelchair, but Nina ends up injuring herself somehow. 
Did you? I couldn't really make out what happened. Like Roy's helping, and she's walking backwards, and she's like trying to kind of yank it away from Roy, and she falls into something or something. I don't know. It's not very clear. No. So, but her injuries are supposedly so bad that she has to go and get herself checked out of the hospital, which leaves Roy to look after Richard. Yes. And Roy's explained to Richard about how he volunteered first aid at Stone Roses concert back in the day. It wasn't his cup of tea, but the percussion was reminiscent of Wagner. There's a knock at the door, and it's the home help who's running late again, and Roy observes that the care Richard is getting isn't all that great. When the home help is gone... Roy voices his concerns. Richard needs support more than Nina can give, and Nina's just a young girl. And Nina comes home, still obviously in pain, and is dismissive when Roy says there's a lot of work that he's doing here. I think he's cooking sausages. Yes. Because what's that smell, she says. Yes. I'm cooking sausages. You've yeah. never smelt sausages before? I bet you she's vegan. She's probably also, you know, she's she's trying to knock his cooking here. <gasps> you can't ro- knock Roy's cooking. Surely not. I'm Ew, what's totally the smell? Who's, who's burning the sausage? <laughs> Just do it. But not like that. <laughs> Just do it. I can't. You can't force these things. Just nah, it's not move gonna your head away from the microphone. Do the vampire thing. That's not going to happen. No, the right. vampire thing? Yeah. Vampire sneeze. Do you want to punch the microphone again? <laughs> You're supposed to sneeze into the crook of your arm like you're a vampire instead of in your hands now. It's the vampire sneeze. Next you would tell me that you're not supposed to use your jeans as a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. Where did I get to? Nina back at the Rovers. sausages. <laughs> back at the Rovers, Roy explains... Because he's back at the Rovers again. Yes. <sighs> He explains the problems to Carla. Looking after Richard is falling on Nina, which is unfair. They need more help. And so he's contacted adult services and asked for Richard to be reassessed. And Roy is clearing up at Roy's roles. How how does Roy have the authority to do that? He doesn't. And pl- plus it's none of his business. And he doesn't have authority to do that. Okay, because I was like, why would they listen to Roy? Right. Why? They shouldn't, other than the, that you're Roy. Yeah, which I, they don't know. This is this is this is when Roy begins to annoy me a little. Roy annoys. Roy annoys. So Roy's cleaning up at Roy's roles when Nina turns up. Adult services have already been in touch because bureaucracy moves so fast in Weatherfield. Apparently, this apparently is bad news. If they find out that she's over sixteen and skipping college, they might end up with even less help. She insists again that they were doing fine until Roy stuck his neb in. I don't think that's necessarily true because the help is for Richard, not for Nina. Oh, well, it's helping both of them because it's doing stuff that Nina doesn't have to do then. Right, but most of it is is taking care of of Richard's needs. Because, I mean, when Sinead was dying, her home health person was changing stuff and, and helping out. And not making tea. Right, and Sinead is older, was older than Nina, and Richard, and you know, and and stuff. So, being an adult shouldn't, and maybe this will help her to get back to college, and maybe she's just being kind of in a snit because she likes to be in in control of this situation, yep. and she's no longer in control of this situation. 
Tell you, she spent less time on her makeup. Anyway. Oi! On Friday. The home help turns up late to see Richard. Roy's there, obviously, and makes it clear that he's unhappy with the care being given, and Nina drags him away. And Roy comes back later from his wanderings with Nina, and once again starts complaining about the care Richard is getting to the home help. And the home help gets so upset that she starts to cry at this. She says it's rubbish pay for a huge caseload, and then you get the privilege of seeing the people that you care about die. Yeah. She's not wrong. The suicide rates for for people in that line of work are, are quite high. Right. Because it's very depressing work, and it's very physically demanding work. You know? My sister's a nurse in a, in a um, nursing home, and it's not easy. Yeah. The... The wee home help that my mum had that I remember seeing because I was only really sort of met them a couple of times. They were in a hurry. They were mm-hmm. always in a hurry. Right. Because they've got because they got a huge like aging population. See. Yeah. So it was make a cup of tea, How give her doing? a bath, sort of thing if she needed it. Right. Which my mum never said that she did. No. Get the pills organised and then right. and then you, you had to leave and yeah. that was it. Yeah. Which. I don't think my mum really appreciated this. She wanted to chat to the <laughs> chat to the poor right, lady. Right, what, like what she really needed was, was company. Right, and they weren't really able. No, just just imagine how much worse it'll be post Brexit. Oh, yeah. they'll have even fewer home health care workers. Yeah, everything <laughs> and everything else. Yep, Nina comes into Roy's roles, and Mary thinks that she's on her way to a fancy dress party. Yeah, this is <laughs> Rita compliments her. And Mary, who you'd think would be the person who would be the most into Nina's look. She's got, she's wearing goggles though. She's wearing goggles. Right, because she's trying to put a reindeer up. Right. That was so funny. You off to a fancy dress party? No. Fuck you, old lady. Okay, boomer. (laughs) Oh, that's become a thing since like two weeks ago, hasn't it? (laughs) Everything's okay, Boomer, now. Yeah. Boomers don't like it. No, they don't. <laughs> Nina tells Roy that the home help has quit. And so Roy is now on the phone to the local authority claiming that he didn't actually shout at the home help. Uh, but then... But he starts shouting on the phone. <laughs> right, so the hang... I didn't shout to the home help! So they hang up on him. And again, Nina insists that they got fine. They got on fine until Roy stuck his nose in. So Roy's telling Carol about this and unsurprisingly she's on Roy's side and tells him that Nina is in the wrong. Plus she cuts about looking like Pride and Prejudice meets Bride of Frankenstein. (laughs) Yeah, Carla, you're not much better. All you wear is black. That stinking leather jacket. And like really dark lipstick, like almost brown. Right. So Carla has no room to talk when it comes to looking a little... Maybe she means it as a compliment, who knows. Mm. Then Roy pays Seb for the decorations and putting that stupid reindeer, <coughs> reindeer up the on the stars. Mm-hmm. And then asks Mary to cover while he re- reorganises things so he can take care of Richard. Roy turns up at the Rovers to have a word with Evelyn and he asks her to look after the cafe, but she can't. She's got far too much on her plate as it is. And then Aggie, who Evelyn notices can't help but button at conversations that don't concern her, says that she can help out. Roy clutches his collar because, let's not forget, Aggie's a shit cook. 
Then Roy turns up at Richard's. He has some good news. Now that Aggie, who can't cook, has stepped up, he'll be able to look after Richard more regularly, like every day. Nina says his help's not wanted and she can take care of things, but Richard and Roy are both adamant that her education is more important, and Richard tells her to get back to college starting Monday, and Nina, she's not amused by this. No, she is not. I think she wants to spend as much time as she possibly can with, with her dad until right. he dies. Right. So she doesn't, This seems perfectly reasonable. She doesn't want to go back to college because she can go back to college after he's dead. Right. This so is her responsibility. That's understandable. She wants it to be her responsibility. It's a lot. It's a lot for a sixteen-year-old kid, though. Well, she's not sixteen anymore. What is she like? Eighteen? Mm-hmm. Is she eighteen though? She doesn't look eighteen. Yeah, she's probably eighteen. I mean, it was tough on you as a forty-something-year-old man when your mom died. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot running about. Yeah. So. It's understand so. But then you everybody's, don't regret it though. And everybody's situation. Every it's. I can understand both sides. I think from the point of view that once he's gone, she can say, "Well, I did my bit. Mm-hmm. I repaid him as much as I could." Right. But he I brought, mean, I think he she's brought been me up, doing that. so I'm taking care of him now that he needs me. I think she's... That's important for her. And then Roy's yeah. just suddenly saying, "Well, I'm fucking doing it, and you can." Well, he's got a lifetime of catching up with his brother as well, so I can understand his point of view as well. I think they all just need to sit down and talk to one another, without all of this passive aggressiveness from both sides. Yeah, Nina's passive aggressive. As is that. Roy. It's Roy. Roy's just aggressive, aggressive, isn't Roy's he? Roy's passive. I don't think he knows how. He speaks his mind, doesn't he? Doesn't like color it differently. I don't think. No, but he colors it from his point of view, yeah, without maybe. without really thinking things through and 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 thinking about how other people might feel. Other people's feelings, as opposed to the right thing to do, don't always. And, you know, now that, I mean, he's, he's, I think he's remembering Haley and taking care of her bef- yeah. before she died and everything. And so he had some experience with this. If he would actually say that to Nina and talk to Nina about Haley, which he doesn't do. Yeah, came he came close just, tonight. He, yeah. he came close, but then he didn't. Mm-hmm. I was expecting him to, and then he didn't. It was just, I don't know. I think things will get worse before they get better. And there will be regrets on all sides. But in six months' time, Nina's not wearing any makeup and she's working at Roy's Rolls. We're agreed on that though, right? The makeup stays. You think? I think she will be dressed differently, but the makeup will stay. Nah, she's going to be Ali Shuddy from The Breakfast Club. First chance she gets. I don't think so. That was like one of the worst things about The Breakfast Club. That was the, the, the thing that I hated about The Breakfast Club was that. Right, yeah time to make you make you into something you're not right and that's the only way you'll ever be pretty right fuck you molly ringwald seriously <laughs> she did not have a good time in that movie no no the whole scene with the underwear and, and mm-hmm. stuff she was not happy about because she was uncomfortable with it as as she should have been <laughs> Correct. and have an 87 year old judd nelson's head between your thighs <laughs> It, it wasn't Judd Nelson. It was uh, what's his name? Wasn't it? It was the, it was the, the nerd. 
No. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen it. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I saw that it was Judd Nelson. He was oh. hiding under our desk. Yeah, what's his name? It was, I'm thinking pretty in pink. Continue. Andrew McCarthy. He wasn't in The Breakfast Club. No, no, not Andrew McCarthy. The other guy. John Cryer. Yeah, no. Yes, maybe. He was Ducky. Yes, he was Ducky. <laughs> I'm not thinking of John Cryer. I've, I've, maybe I'm not thinking Pretty in Pink. Maybe I'm thinking six. Oh, I'm thinking Sixteen Candles. Oh, I haven't seen that. Is that John Cryer that's in Pretty in Pink? I think, so. yeah. John Cryer was Ducky. No, see, I'm thinking about Anthony, Anthony Michael Hall, and in, in Sixteen Candles, Anthony Michael Hall, um. They have this deal where she gives him a pair of her panties oh. f- for some reason. He he helps her out with something, and that's payment. And oh. there's this whole scene where, you know, there's a whole group of the, the geeks and the nerds in the bathroom. And they're like, let's see it. And he holds up her underwear, like, in front of all these, these nerds. And they're like, ah. Oh. And my mother turned to me, and she said, see? That's why you never give a boy your underwear. It'll just ruin your reputation. Wise words, Mum. <laughs> Wise words, indeed. Our next storyline tonight, then, is uh, Michael Lazari. On Monday, Michael, James, and Ed come into Roy's roles. Michael doesn't know why Aggie got involved with the whole him and Grace thing. And Ed thinks it's like he doesn't know his mum, because she's always going to get involved. Michael's been on the phone to Grace to lay the blame firmly at his mother's door. And back home, James thinks Michael should go easy on Aggie. Michael wants James's phone, and it's so he can use it to call Grace because she's not answering his number. Right. He begs her not to hang up and ask for another chance, and then it doesn't sound like she gives him either. See, if I was hiding from someone and I didn't want to <laughs> talk to someone, if I got a phone call from a number that I didn't recognise, I wouldn't answer. No. And yet she does. Do people... I rarely answer, I rarely my, answer phone. my phone. <laughs> I got a call. Sometimes uh, even when I know who it is, because I'm like, ugh, I can't really talk to them right now. I will call them back later. Or text ca- them. I got called the other day f- from a number that looked suspiciously like mine, which happens all the time. I normally get mm-hmm. a number that looks like the first six digits are the same as my number. Right. So it's just the last four that are different. And it's typically somebody pretending to be from a car warranty place or China. And this one was a guy who said, you just phoned me? I went, nope. Nope. He said, well, you did. I said, well, <laughs> I really I didn't. didn't. This is the first I've picked up my phone today. And I went, oh, well, whatever. Have a good day. So I, I guess he must have got a call. From a number from a very number similar. That, that looked like mine or was mine. But who phones, you, who phones that number back? Weirdos. That's who, that's who I will that. sometimes call a number back. If I think I know who it is, just to, or I'm expecting a call. Phones. Weirdos. <laughs> so Grace meets up with Michael at the bistro. He apologises again for Aggie. Grace will not be told what to do by Aggie or a solicitor. She's happy for Michael to be part of Tiana's life, but she refuses to be bullied. She's quite a, quite a ballsy dame, this, this Grace, isn't she? A ballsy dame, yeah. really. Well, it's the 50s after all, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, some of the stuff. She's spunky. Some of her dialogue really frustrated me, though. Oh, really? Because 
she starts by complaining about having to do everything by herself and having to be Tiana's mother and father Solicitor. and grandmother and, you know, all these mm. other things. Bus driver. But then when Michael offers to help, Plumber. when Michael offers to help, she's like, no, I could do this all by myself. I have my pride. It's like, I'm also kind of, kind of disturbed that they decided to name this baby after the one African-American Disney princess. Oh, is that what she's named after? I'm assuming so. That's the only Tiana I know is is uh, from the the Princess and the Frog. Oh, no idea what you're talking about. No, you wouldn't. So Michael wants to help financially. Grace thinks Tiana deserves a dad, but she's concerned about Aggie and Michael's ability to stand up to her. She'll think about his offer, though, and that's as far as we get with that. Yeah. I don't think him and Grace are going to get back together. Probably not. I wonder why you would even think about doing that. Michael's quite an interesting character. You wouldn't want him to be yeah. suddenly becoming a family man and a dad and the kind of the opportunity for drama if that happens is kind of curtailed a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. This maybe, kind of feels like the sort of thing that never gets mentioned like again. On again, off again and stuff. Yeah, and, and we can see, you know, him learning to be a dad and, and settling down and stuff. Because he settled down quite a bit from when we first met him already. Yep. So, because the whole gambling thing came out and he's been helping and the whole selling Gemma's pee, I think, really yeah. shocked him into becoming a more upstanding citizen. Yeah. And apparently the unicorn business is still going on, so he's apparently still getting so. a cut from that. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's still getting a cut? I would hope so. He's helped. Tim was hilarious. <laughs> As not, is Steve. I'm not sure if I mentioned it. <laughs> About the reindeer thing? Um, yeah. Well, well, Tim says that <laughs> unicorns are, are a type of horse. Right, yes. <laughs> which, was, which was hilarious. Anyway, we, we will perhaps get to that. Our next storyline tonight is the 50 centers. On Monday. <clears throat> It's a fancy name for the knicker people, basically. Right, yeah, and every time, every time you say it, I think of, I think of the rapper. Yes. As he said. On Monday, I can't imagine him sewing knickers. <laughs> On Monday, then Sarah catches up with Nick, wondering what all the cloak and dagger stuff is with Ed. Ed wisely makes his excuses and leaves. Wise man, that Ed. <clears throat> so Sarah and Nick go back to number eight, and Nick tells Sarah that the lunatics have taken over the asylum, or in other words, the knicker people have taken over the knicker factory. Nick announces that they're going to focus on knicker packing because the old way didn't work. It's unsustainable, he says. They've overthrown knicker Nick. <laughs> Fine, says Sarah. And Nick is pleasantly surprised until Sarah reminds him that he needs to tell the 50 percenters. So the 50 percenters and Beth are meeting at number eight to talk over the grand plans. They're going to be knicker packers. And the knicker people aren't happy. They want to be knicker makers again. Sally thinks that they're... <laughs> Sally thinks that they're dream makers too. When she buys knickers, she wants the narrative. She wants the story behind those knickers. And Sarah, unbelievably, sides with Sally and the other 50 centers. Yeah. Who has Sinead's shares of the knicker factory now, do you think? Oh, did they pass to Daniel? Probably. I was I was just thinking that maybe Beth could get them. Maybe Daniel could sell them to Beth and then Beth would have a say again. I bet you nobody's. I bet you nobody has thought of this. <laughs> well, <laughs> these are the things I think about. Yeah, so <laughs> the organisational structure make, behind this. this because they make they make such a huge deal about the fact that Beth 
no longer has any shares. So what is she doing there? You know, she sold and those yet, shares for and yet a vacation was it? Uh, something like that. And yet, lots of people who do have a share are never at this meeting. All yeah, those Paul people, wasn't there. Yeah, and all those the people, two ladies from from last week who voted. Right. They weren't there. What's his name? The bald guy. Dirk. Yes, he wasn't there. Where's Dirk Ben? He's been gone for a while, hasn't he? I haven't seen him in a while. I've seen his Twitter recently. I think he's I think he's doing other things. Yeah. Rather than just standing in the background (laughs) (laughs) and pretending to vote. Mm -hmm. So on Wednesday the Knicker people are still pissed at Nick wanting them to be packing people. He tells them that if they continue to ignore him, their investment is going to go down the lavy pan. So the knicker packing people meet up at Rovers <laughs> at the Rovers. They're not happy with Nick. But and then no they one... pick a pecker pickled peppers. <laughs> They're not happy with Nick, but no one can figure out the best way to proceed except Kirk, who thinks Beth should go on strike for some reason. Yeah, that was weird. Carla meets up with Adam at the Rovers to discuss Sinead's beard oil business. And Carla seems to want to change the distribution model, but Adam thinks if it ain't broke, don't fix it, let's stick with direct to customer. And Sarah seems to be listening mm. intently to this. Yes. So Kirk agrees to meet Nick at the bistro and they talk about packing being the future. Nick paints an optimistic picture about the packing business and asks for Kirk's support. Kirk feels uncomfortable going behind pe- the Nicker people's backs, but there is something that Nick could do. Well, name it, says Nick. Mm-hmm. Then there's this weird scene in the Rovers later where Kirk now wants Nick to go over what they've already agreed again. Nick because, sighs. Because he's dumb. Yeah, Nick sighs and says, if Kirk backs him on the knicker packing deal, he'll get his stupid slide. But the knicker people... The have biggest an, slide ever! <clears throat> but the knicker people have an inflated sense of their own importance, says Nick, and they're worth ten a penny anyway. And at that, the knicker people pounce from the neighbouring booth. <laughs> which was so obvious. Yeah, seriously. Nick has Come been on, rumbled. Nick. Oh, Kirk, says Nick. Oh, Kirk. So the Nicker people call Nick the worst boss in the world. And <laughs> Nick says... And they're not wrong. I'd like that on a mug, please. <laughs> Nick calmly explains the deal. Packing and distribution is guaranteed revenue. The old way was going to see them bust. And no. then the Nicker people, who ignored the exact same logic earlier, are now on board until Sarah chimes in, claiming to have an idea. What? She was inspired by the conversation she overheard about Sinead's beard oil. Mm-hmm. Let's make knickers and sell direct. Cut out the middleman, she says. They could build a brand, make bespoke, high-end stuff that's more creative. Underworld could be successful again. And everyone is in, even Nick. And Kirk is pissed when he realises he's not going to get his slide. <laughs> what was that slide going to be anyway? It was how they were going to get down from the top. Instead of having stairs, they were going to have a slide to slide down from the top levels. But you would need to have stairs to get up there. Right. So why would you need a slide? And also they need an elevator because Izzy's in a wheelchair. If they're going to get something, surely it's a fireman's pole. That's what everyone really wants, isn't it? A fireman's pole to slide down? Have you ever slid down a fireman's pole? Yes, I have. (laughs) But not like that. No. Not like that, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems that we're making a bit of a headway into getting the factory back up and running again. Yeah, and interesting and creative things. And, you know, she's right. They are creative people. Are they? Yeah. I mean, think about what Beth did with um, 
What's her name's wedding dress? Rana. Yeah. She fixed it, but it was, you know, it was not an easy fix. They're, they are talented and they are skilled and they, they should... I don't know. I, I, have a, I have a fear that some designs are going to be just bloody awful and that it, we're supposed to find it hilarious what these, these, these low-class slags think is high-end. <laughs> and I'm afraid for that because I, I really don't like that humor. I mean, I hated this whole, the whole slide thing and everything. And, oh, aren't these people dumb who want to slide and right. can't really manage a business? It was very stupid. It was so stupid. I don't think it's going to be mentioned, to be honest. Mm. They'll, they'll move back into the factory. It'll never be mentioned again. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. That's not going to be interesting. Anyway, our next around tonight is a scorned Michelle. At least we didn't have Nick standing around listening to other people's conversations. <laughs> Carrying his and, lunch. And wanting to sit next to other people's belongings <laughs> right. to eat his lunch. On Wednesday, the church had been on the phone with Robert to arrange the wedding rehearsal. Michelle takes a moment to be a snarky cow and then becomes interested when she realises it's about her wedding. They both decide that they need to decide whether or not to go through with it, seeing as it's in eight days. Michelle will think about it because it's all up to her. Then Michelle catches up with Adam and the Rovers. She wants to know if he's found a devious way for her to get the bistro from Robert, and Adam says that he hasn't. Michelle asks if getting married would help, which Adam doesn't think would make a difference. What about illegally, says Michelle, and Adam seems to think that that's a different matter. Right, and also he's a solicitor, so he's not going to do anything illegal. And he's not going to advise you to do anything illegal. Well. He doesn't. He doesn't. No. But it looks like he's thinking about it, because she says that she'll pay him anything. Then in comes Robert and Michelle announces that she wants to go ahead with the wedding. After all, she still wants to be his wife. Adam watches on and grabs his collar a wee bit. Yeah, because... He knows that Robert's getting fucked over here. Right, but I'm I'm trying to figure out why Michelle decides to do this. Because I would think that once you're married, it'll be even harder to... I don't think there's a chance that she's getting married. You think she's going to do something? She's just humiliating them. Yeah. Oh, Christmas music, music trivia is about to start. Yes, I see that. On Friday then, Robert and Michelle arrive at the bistro and are shocked to see Ray is making himself a cap of choo-choo. Yeah, I was a little shocked by that as the well. The fucking nerve of the man. Seriously. Robert goes to throw him out, but Ray insists that he's got good news for them. He's dropping the lawsuit. Robert asks what the catch is, and Ray says that's the fun bit, just leaving them guessing what, which means that there isn't really a catch. Probably not. Later, Robert thinks Ray is all trousers, but Michelle is still concerned and says that she's off to see Adam to check this out. They smooch, and once again, Michelle is quick to wipe off the Robert bugs. Ew. (sighs) I just just (laughs) want it to be over. Michelle is at Adam's. He's not surprised that the non-disclosure agreement thing has been dropped. He advises her to forget about it, and he also advises her to walk away clean from the Robert thing. It's just going to get nasty otherwise. He knows of which he talks. Absolutely. Then Carla comes into the bistro and echoes Adam's advice to Michelle. They can't take the bistro from Robert unless he signs it away. Then in conversation, Michelle reveals that Robert's upcoming 50th is actually a wedding. Carla thinks Michelle is mental going through with this. And Michelle says that she needs Carla's help. There was a scene in the cabin earlier that I don't mention where uh, Carla came in and talked about uh, Robert's 50th and Brian seemed to be under the impression that he, looks he and like Robert, Robert are two peas in a pod. That they look alike. That from behind, they've got similar enormous heads, but <laughs> they really don't. 
And Brian actually he, he calls himself a silver fox. He's not. His hair's grey. His hair's grey, but it's not white like Robert's. No. Robert's is white. Yes. Not grey. But it's meant to be <clears throat> funny and it's meant for us to laugh amusing. at Brian. Michelle is still brooding about the Ray thing and she tells Robert that she doesn't mind if he checks in with Irish Tina every now and again to see how the baby's getting on. She asks how he managed to keep Irish Tina away from the street for so long because Irish Tina being such a cow and all that should be wanting to rub it in Michelle's face, surely. And she quickly twigs that she must have known about Rory. Well, yeah, Robert says that you'd be surprised that she can be sensitive. Sensitive, yeah. Robert denies telling her and claims that anyone could have done it. And at Maybe. that point, I couldn't remember if it was a lie or not, but I think it was. Right. but And also, at this point, he could have said, well, the thing is, is that Irish Tina has also lost quite a few babies of her own. So she understands and she had sympathy for you to, you know, maybe make Michelle less of a cow, right. but doesn't. No. Again, this is this is like the whole Roy not telling Nina about Haley. Men don't know how to communicate on the show. The women aren't great either. No, nobody knows how to communicate. <laughs> no. Robert has spent the entire episode clinging to Michelle, and Michelle spent the entire episode kind of gurning as she shivers and looks very uncomfortable. Yes. He thinks it should come clean about it being a wedding to people. And Michelle thinks it makes sense, and Robert thinks it would be a good idea to tell everyone at the same time, just get everyone together and tell them it's, it's right. actually a wedding. Michelle wants to invite Steve and Amy, which she mm-hmm. seems to make a point of. I couldn't work out why. Well, Steve is there. Is that all? I don't know. Is she going to use Steve? It kind of seemed like that's where they were Somehow. going with that, that Steve was going to be involved in it somehow. Maybe because of the whole Rory thing? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Did she mention the Rory thing? No, I didn't. <laughs> and then Michelle and Carl are bitching about Robert and the Rovers. She doesn't believe anything he says and reckons that he used Rory as an excuse. Carla repeats that the wedding thing is the stupidest idea she's ever heard. Then in comes Robert and he gives Michelle her something new. It's a lovely bracelet. Is it though? And then he tells her that he loves her and then he fucks off back to the bistro giving Michelle and Carla opportunity to slag him off some more right and talk about how ugly the bracelet is uh-huh. because it is i didn't really pay attention it just looked kind of shiny boring well it's There's robert to it well it's robert yeah but he acts like it's this huge deal like it's this big expensive thing that he bought her and it's not mm. it's so boring yeah, it's so robert tennis bracelets are weird anyway i mean what bracelets tennis bracelets tennis bracelets yeah was a tennis bracelet. Was a tennis bracelet. That. Oh. It's like a bracelet with like lots of tennis rackets on it and no rhinestones or 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 gems around the sides. I don't know why they're called tennis bracelets, but that's what they're called. Oh. Now you know. I prefer bangles. I like the bangles. I'm always <laughs> <laughs> insert a Susanna Hoff's joke here. Those are my bagels. Two of them, anyway. So this sounds then like the wedding is going to be not next week. Not next week, but the next. week after that. I think it's going to be next week because eight days from today. Well, eight days in Corey history or Corey timeline is is weird because 
things that happen on Monday get referred to as yesterday on Wednesday. Sometimes. And tomorrow on Wednesday is Not Friday. Not always. Well, Not yeah, when it suits them, yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be next week. I think they know that we're just fed up with it. <laughs> I kind of thought this was going to be... Like a Christmas thing? until Christmas, and it's going to be a little bit too early for that. Either way, if it's next week or the week after, it's still going to be too early. Or too soon. Right. It can't, it can't be too soon. No, it needs to happen. No, it needs to happen soon. Do you think Irish Tina will show up to the wedding? I don't think her her involvement in this is over, is it? If it is, she's not had much of an exit. No. But she's still in that house, presumably. Right. She's still pregnant. Yes. She's still got ten weeks to go. Hmm. I wonder if Michelle's revenge is going to involve Irish Tina somehow. Maybe. Because I was thinking last week, and you were very strongly in the no camp, that Michelle and Irish Tina were going to team up and gang up on Robert, but that's not... And that clearly isn't happening. I, I don't that, know. I've, I'm starting to think maybe it is. No, because she hates Irish Tina far too much. Well, she says she hates Irish Tina, but she also says she loves Robert and wants to get married and loves him and will love him forever. Yeah, well, she's lying about that. Yeah. I don't think she's lying about her hatred for Irish Tina. She has no well, and again, she's a like skank, I said, remember? like I said last week, it's it's really annoys me that she would go after the other woman who had no idea that they were still together. Which again, this is another thing that Robert should have pointed out that well, she didn't rub her your nose in it because she didn't know that we were still together. Yes, skank. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline tonight is Emma down under. But not like that. <laughs> on Friday, at the bus stop, Amy has her Bugsy dress rehearsal today. And mm-hmm. Emma rem- reminisces about that time she played The Hills in The Sound of Music. <laughs> what? <laughs> like she, she The Hills a... were alive. Mm-hmm. And they were named Emma. <laughs> Stelly is... I just imagine her just walking about a stage with a, like a green ghost. Mm-hmm. Mm. Stelly, Stelly's playing a drum now in the... The under the sea scene. What in the Little Mermaid? Oh. She's she. I think she's a turtle that somebody is beating like a drum. They're doing Jamaican accents during that, by the way. Yeah, I. Ugh. I don't. I. This is so ill-judged. Well, yeah. Well, the 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 girl who's playing Sebastian does a Jamaican accent, and apparently she did it during the auditions. And Stelly thinks that's why she got the part. That's even worse. Well, the other girl who auditioned for Sebastian is is the only is the only black girl in the cast. Mm. So that wouldn't have been great either. That the girl who played Miss Hannigan last year. Remember, oh, we were yeah, uncomfortable yeah. with that as well. The only black kid in the cast mm. plays a villain. Right. Yeah. <sighs> We live in one of the whitest towns in the Midwest. Every now and again, you just get reminded of how white it is. It's slowly becoming more colourful, though, and I'm happy about that. Let's talk about Coronation Street some more. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, Tim and Steve are arguing about potentially confusing Tiny by dressing them up as a reindeer. At least a unicorn is a type of horse, says Tim. Ha ha ha. Emma's ha, brother ha. overhears this, thinks that they're both weird. 
Because they are. He's looking for his sister. He's got some big news for her. So Steve says, uh, Steve seems... Steve, Steve says, leave a message with me. And, and Amy in the street. Amy is chuffed because she's now the new Fat Sam. The production of Bugsy Malone is gender fluid. Emma goes over to have a word with Seb, who puts up a horrid Christmas decoration outside Roy's Rolls. And separately, Mary talks to Adam about getting a decoration outside of his office and offers to check out his fuse box. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't think that reindeer was that horrible. It I've wasn't. seen much worse. Yeah, they were going for some kitsch right. award for the, the worst decoration or something, did, wasn't it? Did you see those really frightening <clears throat> blow mold uh choir children that i that i posted on my facebook page last week that look haunted no i don't think of it they're frightening oh, you're so scary you constantly buy haunted shit and you bring it into this fucking house which <laughs> i really don't appreciate i like Seb ghosts and emma seem to have an eye for each other and steve tells emma about his conversation with morgan her brother so i guess elena is officially no more she's She's been no more for a while. Though, She's reported hasn't he? to be coming back. Maybe that's why. To give Seb a decision to make, kind of thing. Right. And it was nice to see Seb back. We haven't seen Seb in ages. Not in ages. So Emma and Morgan are at the bistro, and Steve comes in to spy on what's happening. And later, when they're ready to leave, Emma and Morgan see Steve, and they're excited to tell him that Fiona has bought them both tickets to go to Melbourne and spend the Christmas holidays down under. Steve is a little disappointed to hear this. Mm-hmm. He hides it well, though. Back home, Amy's going through the Christmas <laughs> decorations and reveals that Steve has made a stocking for Emma. But Steve says that she's not going to need it because she's going away for eight weeks. E for Emma. And eight she... weeks? That's some... it's like over a month. It's two months. Yeah. If you're going to go to the other side of the world and... I guess. Like, not do what I did and go for ten days. It was 10 days in Australia and then 10 days in California. That was a good holiday, though. Sounds like a good holiday. It was a good holiday. I've only been to one of those places. I was jet I'd like for. to go to the other place. <clears throat> the things I remember about Australia. Being uh, drunk all the time? I was drunk for some of the time. <laughs> My Aunt Cathy pointed to a lizard that was out in her front yard. Mm-hmm. And as it was tasting the air, its tongue was flicking out and it had a blue tongue. Mm-hmm. She said, guess what that lizard's called? A blue-tongued lizard. blue tongue lizard? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian naming convention is pretty straightforward. And then I saw a huntsman spider <clears throat> oh. and battered it to death with a, with my slipper. <laughs> it was in the curtains behind you, wasn't it? It was It was in the curtains as I was closing them over and it, and it fell out of the curtains <laughs> and landed with a, like a real thud as it right. hit the floor. Yeah, because they're massive. <clears throat> and I took off. Had a little look behind the curtain, saw this massive spider and battered fuck out of it. Woke up the entire house because it was like the middle of the night. And Mank Cathy says, oh, that's a huntsman spider. You should just leave them alone because they kill the dangerous spiders. And at that point, I wanted to leave. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Coronation Street some more. <laughs> so Steve says that Emma has had a tough year and she deserves a vacation. And he tells her to do whatever she wants to do. And then it's his pump going off for a pint because he's a little upset. Right, he even bought her. Uh, he even bought a tofurkey for their Christmas <laughs> dinner, right. which I thought was sweet. Emma catches up with Steve in the Rovers. She tells him that she's not going to go to Australia. She's going to spend Christmas with him. She spent enough Christmases with her mum and Morgan, but she's never spent one with Steve. And Steve says it was a stocking that swung it, wasn't it? 
And she goes, aye. So do you think Fiona's going to be able to get her money back for that ticket uh, probably that she's already bought? Not. So probably not. So be, I would be pissed off. But then again, I wouldn't buy a ticket for my child without That's asking. It. Exactly. And later, Seb asks Emma out for dinner. Proper in demand today, me, says Emma. And that's the end of that storyline. That was quite nice. A little, yeah. heartwarming, wasn't it? Yeah, I liked it. I like I like the stocking. I like that evidently Steve knows how to sew. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. Oh, I'm going to sneeze again. No, you're not. That's so annoying. I was sneezing a lot the other day after my... Uh... It's gone. Yeah. It's gone again. I remember when your uh, remember first when Christmas at your mum's house and your mum had made me a stocking yes. with my name on it. Yes. That's a lovely thing. Yes. I was very touched by that. Absolutely. It's nice It's nice to see that Seb and Emma might get back together because they were really sweet together and then it was abruptly cut off by Emma misunderstanding about Seb's Oh, the AIDS. HIV stuff. Yeah. yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah. That's why I'm here. Our final storyline tonight is Abandon Hope, all ye who enter here. On Monday, it's not a pleasant morning at Fizz and Tyrone's. Hope is acting up because she's never had a bonfire party. Evelyn is pissed that Hope is so rude. Fizz is pissed at Evelyn for being so rude. Ty is pissed at Fizz for taking it out on Evelyn. And Fizz is pissed again because Ty always sticks up for his gran. In comes Jade, who... uh, Who revels in... And all of the people being pissed at one another. Yeah, and she drags Hope away for a walk, sneering back at them as she does so. And later Ty says that he's worried about Hope's bad behaviour. Fizz thinks she just needs stability and family time, which Ty reads as an okay for the bonfire party after all. <coughs> later still... <coughs> later still, Jade has made a batch of toffee apples. Evelyn comes in and is disappointed that Hope's got her own way, calling Fizz mother of the year. She thinks Fizz needs help. Ty has got some fireworks ready, and Fizz is not at all sure about this, what with Hope being a pyromaniac and all that. Then Kev has come round for the fireworks with Jack. Kev can smell burning, and outside, Hope, it appears, has set fire to a... It's like a kind of barrel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a barrel with Hope. That's where they were going to have their bonfire. Right. Because they were having a bonfire, not fireworks. They were just going to do the bonfire. So it was meant to be on fire. Yes, but she wasn't meant to have lit it. Kev pulls Jack away just before he gets burned and angrily, angrily blames Ty for the stupid idea. Right, because there are fireworks in there and they start to pop and go off and everybody freaks out and is scared, including Hope. No, she's not appalled at all by this. She well, looks like at, she's at first, kind of at, smiling at it. At first she's startled and then and then she's smiling and some clothes light on fire and 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 Jack is coughing a lot. Sort yourself out, Jack. You know what? Sake. You know what? You know what? Everybody's forgotten. Everybody's forgotten that Jack only has one leg. Why? You never see him in his wheelchair, and when he walks, he doesn't walk like he's, someone. He's got his artificial leg now, hasn't he? Right. Yeah, but he would still have a slight limp with an artificial leg. Yeah. Anyway. Still, they've forgotten about Ty it. Ty Let's... tells Fizz that this needs sorted. So Fizz and Ty are arguing over who started the yard fire. Ty is convinced it was Hope, saying it doesn't need Einstein to work it out. Einstein, of course, renowned for solving domestic disagreements and assessing probability of childhood pyromania. Yeah, Einstein, who notoriously had very poor interpersonal skills. (laughs) Ty catches up with Jack and Kev in the bistro. 
Jack is fine because there was nothing wrong with him in the first place. And Ty he's got a Sunday out of it. Why Hope started the fire, but Jack says that Hope was as surprised as anyone when like I said. when the fire caught, caught on. And back home, Fizz and Hope are arguing about the fire again. Hope hates Fizz and doesn't want her to be her mummy anymore. And Fizz doesn't know how much more this she can take. She explains to Ty about the, ma- the matches and the factory fire and how the matches have mysteriously disappeared. And Ty is shocked. Shocked, I tell you. And Ty is fuming at everyone. Jade goes to take Hope upstairs out of the way, but not before Ty figures out that Jade knew about the previous fire too. In the hallway, Hope pleads her innocence to Jade, and Jade says that she believes Hope, and it's Fizz who doesn't. Her mummy never believes her. And when Hope goes upstairs, we see it's Jade who has the matches. Back in the living room, Tyrone can't even look at Fizz right now. So sad. Very sad. On Wednesday, time Fizz continue to argue about Fizz's secrets while Jade watches on, pretending not to be interested. Meanwhile, Evelyn has got Ruby ready for school, and Hope is still insisting that she didn't start the fire in the yard. She didn't start the fire. Oh dear. It was always Jade and Evelyn catch up at the shop. <laughs> Evelyn quizzes Jade about what the what the drama was this morning, and Jade reveals about Ty being kept in the dark about the fire at the factory. She also says that Hope only seems to play up when Fizz is around. She thinks the family set up is making things worse, and this seems to give Evelyn some thought. And Ty and Fizz meet up in the rovers. She's trying to talk, but he's not keen to listen. She thinks getting the authorities involved, uh, she thinks getting the authorities involved uh, has a stigma attached to it. Ty thinks there's also a stigma attached to if Hope kills anybody. Right. Yeah. Fizz feels responsible, and she was worried point. that Ty would leave her if things didn't get better, which is why she kind of keeps stum about the whole thing. And Ty softens a bit and says that this is what happens when people don't talk and says that he's going nowhere. Oh, that was sweet. I like that. That was nice. Back home, Fizz explains to Jade that she and Ty have agreed to put things behind them and Jade suggests that they go out tonight and she'll babysit. Fizz doesn't need to be asked twice. Because she's mother of the year and all that. Mm -hmm. Now Evelyn is home wondering where everyone's got to. Fizz and Ty have taken the girls out for ice cream and then they're going out to the bistro later, says Jade. Evelyn doesn't give a shit. She'll be sitting on her own all night uh, watching her programmes and doing her sudokus and stuff. And Jade says that she'll be having a disco with the girls, which is enough to send Evelyn off to the bingo. Right, and she's thinking about it because, you know, she didn't initially want to have a disco. And then she grabs a CD and she's waving it in front of... Right. Evelyn's face. Mm-hmm. She wants to be alone with the girls because she's bad. And Hope's back and Ruby's upstairs. Jade is putting bruise makeup on Hope's arm and then takes pictures on her phone. Hope thinks this They're is a game. Doctor. The poor wee scone. This is not how you play doctor. No. Later the doctor is... <laughs> Later the disco is underway and then Jade wipes the bruise away, calling this game just between the two of them. Evelyn comes back early, puts an end to the disco and tells Jade to fuck off and see Michael. Jade doesn't want to, and says the girls have been having fun for a change. What the fuck do you mean by that, asks Evelyn, and Jade throws Fizz under the bus, saying Fizz's behaviour is the biggest concern in the house. So Ty and Fizz are at the bistro, and rather than enjoy the night, they're sitting complaining about their parenting. Fizz wants to do something, but she isn't sure what, but something has to change. Tyrone points out that Hope and Jack both agree that Hope didn't start the fire. She didn't start the fire. (laughs) This calls for tough love. Was always burning. Says Fizz. Back in the house, Jade thinks Fizz is too you. hard, and Evelyn calls Fizz soft as shite. Jade thinks Fizz shouldn't have handled the fire thing the way that she did. She should have done it far more calmly. And then back home, 
Fizz is tidying up when Hope reacts badly when Fizz picks up her dolly. The head is pulled off it, but not like that, and Fizz discovers a couple of matches and goes ballistic. There's a struggle which ends with Hope announcing that she wishes Fizz wasn't her mummy, and Fizz smashing Hope's tablet on the floor. Then Tyrone comes home and is annoyed that Fizz broke the tablet after all they talked about, but she's backed up by Evelyn and reluctantly by Jade. Fizz shows Ty the matches, and Hope hides her wee face. Ty tells the lassie that bad behaviour has consequences now. And Evelyn and Jade are alone in the living room, Jade blaming Fizz again, saying that she can't cope. Evelyn has had enough and tears Jade a new arsehole. Who the fuck are you to talk, says Evelyn. You have no idea what it's like to raise kids, and isn't that your employer and best friend that you're bitching about? Yeah. And stunned, Jade makes her excuses and leaves, while Evelyn enjoys the peace and quiet that she's been looking forward to all night. Right. And takes a well-earned sip of her brandy. Yes. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. I just wish that somebody else had been around to see Evelyn... Stick up for Fizz. Right, like Fizz, for example. Right, yeah. But, you know, Evelyn, as we know, had a hard time with, with Ty's mom, so she knows of what she speaks. Right. Tyrone is making toast, saying Fizz and Hope have kissed and made up now, and he wonders where Jade's got to. Evelyn tentative, tentatively tries to assess what Ty thinks about Jade, but Ty is oblivious to anything underhand or suspicious and calls Jade a godsend. <clears throat> and then we see Jade at night. She's outside with flowers and a copy of Milton's Paradise Lost in a dark graveyard. She lays the flowers at the grave and crying. She reads, Farewell hope, and with hope, farewell fear. All good to me is lost. Evil be thou my good. I love you, Dad, she says. And then we see that the grave is none other than Nigel Havers. <gasps> no, uh, John Stape. <laughs> so you were right. <clears throat> I was right. You were right. How in the hell does that happen? Because it's so fucking obvious. Yeah, but... You know, as we said when we first discussed this theory, how did the coincidences line up that she would know that the hospital that she works at is the one that Hope would be taken to to be re-educated to be a good girl who doesn't start fires and beat people up? Yes. How does that happen? It doesn't make any sense. And I don't think they're about to explain it. No. No, they're not. Mm. I think in the Milton quote, they missed out farewell remorse. Probably. But, but what do I know about what Paradise does, Lost? Wait, what do I know about that quote from Paradise Lost? It, it, seem, it seems like an odd choice for somebody like... John State, right? ...to know anything about... Well, presumably it's his favourite book, which doesn't make an awful lot of sense either. Well, they just wanted that whole farewell hope <clears throat> thing. That's that's why oh, they chose that's it. Not a pun on Hope's name, is it? Of oh, course it is. Dreadful. Of course it is. <laughs> that's the only reason why they chose it. So if it had been Ruby instead of Hope, they'd have been singing the Kaiser Chiefs then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that? No. <laughs> but it's still so. funny. Ruby, 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 Ruby. Oh, okay, sneeze again. I didn't um. Didn't Neil Diamond have a song about a ruby, too? The Ruby Tuesday. That's a restaurant. That's <laughs> shutting down. Is it? Yeah, it's left the Lance in the Mall. I don't know if the whole chain's shutting down, but that one's left. We've never been there, I don't it's think, gone, have we? It's gone the way of Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> On Friday, then. Brian puts some mail through Ty's door and Jade swoops in it while Evelyn is ushering the kids upstairs to brush her teeth. It turns out the mail is from the local education authority. 
Mm-hmm. And later, Jade is taking Hope for a walk, telling her that all her friends at school will have new friends now, and they won't like her, and that she's Hope's friend forever's. Yes. Oh, Best friends what a forever. Cow. Meanwhile, well, even... they are sisters. Only Hope doesn't know that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Meanwhile, even... her only living relative left. Is in the cabin complaining about Sudoku. <laughs> What's that she says? She says something about... God, it's if the worst th- thing that the Japanese have done since Pearl Harbor. That's right. what she says. Which is hilarious. Then Brian says that he's great with numbers. He's got a mind like a computer. Yeah, full of filth, says he's <laughs> So there's two zingers, like, back to back. so it's good. Brilliant. Evelyn reveals how stressed she's been living with two under tens, a bickering couple, and a super nanny who thinks she knows everything. Brian brings up the subject of the letter from the Education Authority, which he claims was put through his door by mistake and that he put through ties. Well, where is it? asks Evelyn, because it never arrived. And she kind of looks off into the distance a little bit. Back home, Fizz is on the phone to the school, and in comes Jade, and Evelyn quickly accuses her of taking the letter. There's no flies on on her, Evelyn. No. She says that Jade is no Meryl Streep. And as Fizz is announcing that Hope has got her place back at Bessie Street, Jade quickly puts the letter in the recycling and then pretends to find it, and Evelyn is not fooled for one second. No. Later, Hope isn't happy about going back to school and she wants to stay with Jade, who wouldn't observe Evelyn. At first she's happy to go back, but then Jade says something about, you know, all of your friends, you'll have to be reassessed and you may not be with your friends anymore and Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to spend as much time together, blah, 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 blah. Who wouldn't observe Evelyn, considering that the schoolwork that Jade's been given her has essentially been just picking up twigs? And Jade brings Ruby home and is disappointed to see that the promise of a new iPad was enough to get Hope to change her tune and look forward to going back to school after all. Thanks for everything, Jade says Fizz. We'll talk about the specifics of kicking you to fuck later, okay? (laughs) And Evelyn takes Ruby away to a party, which leaves Jade downstairs on her own, and she picks up a photo of Fizz and Tyrone. Why wasn't Hope invited to this party? That's 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 what bothered me the most. Why is Ruby invited to a party and Hope not? No. That's poor poor Hope. She picks up a photo of Fizz and Tyrone and smashes it on the dinner table, and this attracts Hope's attention who wants to know what Jade's doing. Jade claims that she was angry about what Fizz did to Hope's iPad, and now she's going to be in trouble with Fizz. And Hope is so appalled by this, she says that she'll take the blame, and then she cuts her fingers just picking up the glass. And this gives Jade an idea. And Jade and Hope are hurrying down the street, Hope announces to Aggie that she's cut her finger and Jade quickly drags her away. How rude, says Aggie. Right, because Aggie offers to help. Right. But no, 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 this... Yet another pointless trip to (laughs) A&E this week. And uh, Dr. Gadas at the medical centre quickly agrees to see Hope's finger, much to the uh, disappointment of Moira, who says that she has to make an appointment, despite the fact there's only one old guy sitting way back in the waiting right, room. Right, and she's bleeding. Right. What is what is Doctor Gaddis looking for? She's looking for is she looking for a tin of of biscuits? Something like that. And they have this whole conversation about there are no tins, just packets, and and she can't gift packets of. I didn't understand that whole conversation at all. No, me. Dr. Gadas fixes up Hope and Jade manages to get Hope to admit that Fizz smashed her iPad. Jade tells Gadas that she's concerned about the bruises on one of her friend's daughter and Gadas is quick to realise that Jade's talking about uh, Hope. Meanwhile though, Moira has phoned Fizz because she was so pissed off at Gadas agreeing to see her. Moira's phoned Fizz who comes storming in pissed that Jade didn't tell her. 
Fizz quickly takes Hope away, and Cardass says an occasional bruise is nothing to worry about, but anything more, and social services should be informed. And back home, they're getting ready to kick Jade out of the house. It's been nice knowing you in parts, says Evelyn. <laughs> Fizz is dead grateful. We've got it from here, so don't let the door hit your arse on the way out. Jade tells Fizz to go out with Ty and Evelyn while she packs and says goodbye to Hope. And Jade tells Hope that she has to nip out to buy a present for her. And apparently Ruby is still at this party. <laughs> at night. <laughs> She'll have party animal as her Ruby. Hope says she's not allowed to be home alone, but Jade says it's just going to be for a minute, and she sneaks out the back door. At the pub, Ty and Evelyn are glad to see the back of Jade, out of her lives, and more importantly, out of Hope's life, says Evelyn. And back, <laughs> back home, Jade is back with an early Christmas present for Hope, and she gives Hope a phone, but it has to be their little secret. Keep it charged, keep it on silent, and keep it hidden. Hope calls Jade her best friend forever, and Jade promises to never be far away. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Not creepy at all. Not creepy in the slightest. Now... I watched um, I watched some old um, clips of the whole John Stape and, and Fizz thing. Right. Like when he tries to kidnap baby Hope. Yep. And Fizz gets hit by a lorry. Oh... <laughs> Right. Could use the word lorry there, by the way. I know how much you love it when I say lorry in an American accent. Sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think of it? It was... It, Sean's hair was interesting. <laughs> okay. No, it was just... You know, it was it was weird seeing, seeing everybody so young and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see that the show has always been about baby kidnaps... There's nothing new. Nothing new. Have you seen the Jenny baby kidnap? No. That'll be on the YouTubes as well. You should look at that. Yeah. That's quite funny. Well. <laughs> yes, kidnapping is hilarious. Of child and kidnapping also is hilarious. mental illness. Hilarious. Yep. It's not hilarious. <laughs> if handled correctly, it can be hilarious. Uh, Good stuff. So, Jade's master plan here. What do you think? She's trying to destroy Fizz. Right, she's trying to destroy Fizz. She's trying to get Hope away from Fizz. Right. You know, I don't know if she's going to be able to do that because even if she gets Hope taken away from Fizz and Ty with the whole bruise thing, don't think Child Protective Services is necessarily going to say, oh, you're her long-lost half-sister? Sure, you can have her. That's that's not how these things usually work. No. And doesn't Hope still have, like... A, isn't there, like, a grandmother still somewhere? Or am I just thinking about Max and... I think you're thinking of Max. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they've got... She's got uh, Fizz and Chesney's mom. She could go live with Fizz and Chesney's mom. Silla, yeah. Yeah. She's out of the picture. Uh, I don't know if Silla would They really need though. to address the... The astonishing coincidence that when Fizz went to Birmingham, it was John Stapes' daughter and, who she ends up befriending. And and how is it that John Stape never mentioned the fact that he had an older daughter from a previous relationship when she he was married to Fizz? Right. And they had hope. And Jade had the foresight to change her name. Either that or she always had her mother's last name, which is quite possible. Right. Oh, maybe, yeah. That's that's what I'm assuming. Oh. And that she's never visited his grave before, and yet she knows where it is. Hasn't she? 
Well, I would assume not because she used to live in Birmingham. And this is the first time that she's moved down here to this area. Yeah. It's not that far. It's far enough. <laughs> I don't know. It just... I, I, we, we need some kind of information on this. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I was really surprised that she was his daughter and, si- and not I was sister. Be a sister. Yeah, I yeah. thought he was going to be a sister. Or like a niece or something. Because she's in her 20s. Right. So she'd have just been a, what, a teenager or a, when state, no, because what age is Hope? Hope's, Hope's, six or seven. Eight. I think she's eight. Eight. Oh, it's too late to do the arithmetic on this, I can't. She would be a younger lassie anyway. Right, and John Stape would have had to have have (coughs) conceived her. Quite young. So possibly staying with her mum. Right. And But if that was the case and she wasn't all that close to her dad, who never mentioned her. Right. Why would she... Why would she even know about Fizz? Well, maybe maybe this is why she wants revenge is because she blames Fizz for the fact that her dad was never around. It's quite possible. He was a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got that. And the apple doesn't seem to fall very far from the tree because... <laughs> Hope's a pyromaniac and... Jade is psycho. Jade's, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Your moment of the week. I know what my boring moment of the week is, but my moment of the week... Um... <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of awarding I... it to Evelyn for the millionth time, the, the, the build-up to her confrontation with Jade was so good because she so successfully mm-hmm. tricked Jade into thinking that mm-hmm. Evelyn was on her side. Right. By mm-hmm. bad-mouthing Fizz at every opportunity, mm-hmm. which she'd probably be doing anyway. Right. But she was damn sure to make it obvious to Jade that that's what she was doing. She was mm-hmm. interested to know what Jade's opinion was. Mm-hmm. She wasn't dismissive when that opinion became negative mm-hmm. and she let it go far enough for Jade to have enough rope to hang herself correct and as soon as she said I can't even remember what that line was no me neither but even just pounced on it what do you mean by that and she the way that she turned yeah was brilliant yeah I think I think I think you're right I think that's that's really our moment of the week I was kind of thinking about Bernie and Paul reconciling, but we've given them so many moments of the week that I just I couldn't yeah, be a couple. I couldn't be bothered. I kind of liked uh, Kirk entrapping Nick, I but like you said, well. it was really obvious was that obvious. that's what was going to happen. And it wasn't obvious with Evelyn and Jade, right? You you knew that Evelyn was setting a trap for her, yeah. But it still came as a little bit of a shock that she turned so. Yeah. Uh, so viciously. And uh, Lottie Henschel, who, pay, who plays Jade, mm-hmm. I thought she did a fantastic job. Just yeah, her eyes filled up and she was... Facially, she does a really good job. Really? You know, all of the time. Because, like, when she goes from her happy face and then she turns and it's the moody face, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, all right. That's our moment of the week. So that's her. Moment, moment of the week. Of the week. Moment of the week.
I'm dying to know what you think the boring moment of the week is. Dr. Gaddis's biscuits. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think this might, might be the, the quickest time from deciding what moment of the week is to boring moment of the week. And, it's and normally, Mo- and, it, it normally and, takes and, us about 60 seconds. And Moira saying that people always assume <clears throat> that she has tins of biscuits because people think she's Scottish, which nobody thinks she's Scottish. Her name's Moira. Yeah, and her hair is red. Mm-hmm. You hear so much. I think she's hilarious. Anyway, that is our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Okay, okay, then shall we? Yes. <laughs> Has Jade ever bought you a secret phone? If so, why not use it to get in touch with us? I mean, you've listened to us for this long, you might as well spend even more of your spare time thinking about Coronation Street. You can email us... And at, us. ...at the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is the address you use on Skype if you want to leave us a voicemail, and on PayPal if you want to drop a badger or two into our virtual tip jar. So for all other social meds needs, we're at Cory Podcast. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.